0: Um, So thank you for being here this morning. Um, I know that this is going to be a really impactful um, series. It's already been affecting me in a really powerful way just in the preparation of it um, because I think that it's so important that we realize um, how powerful our words are, um, how powerful our words can be. Our words can be things that can literally empower and speak life and encouragement into other people, even into ourselves. Um, But our words use in a negative way, can also be destructive and even destroy. And so I think it's really important that we take a little bit of time to kind of focus on our words and think about how they affect us and affect others. And so what we're going to do right off the bat is uh, I want to look at what Jesus had to say about our words. Um, so we're going to look real quick at Luke six forty five. 45. Um, this is what Jesus had to say um, about words just right off the bat right here. He said this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Ouch. (laughs) Basically what Jesus is saying in this moment is that our words are an overflow of our heart. So the reason that you can't control your big fat mouth, no matter how hard you've tried, Is because really our words are just, our negative words are just a symptom of a much larger disease, which is the condition of our heart. And somebody asked me, how long, how how long is this series, how long is this series gonna be? And my response was, I don't know, two weeks, five years, whatever it takes for us to get this right, because this is so important. Um, But obviously I'm kidding. This is going to be a two-week series and this week we're going to focus specifically over how our words affect us, yourself, and your relationship with God. And then next week, we're going to talk about how our words affect our relationship with others. So I really hope that you make it a point um, to come back and uh, maybe bring a friend that your words have affected or their words have affected you, however you want to do that. Um, but we hope that you come back. But to introduce the message today, um, I want to show you a picture um, from an amazing uh, trip that my family took to Colorado about two summers ago. So there's my family all all six of us. I think this is, um, that's us on top of a mountain. I think this is the only picture um, that we got of actually our immediate family together. And um, I'm pretty sure my uh, father-in-law took this picture because um, my in-laws go on pretty much every vacation with us because we have four kids and we're not an idiot and we don't want to take four kids by ourself, um on vacation. Um, but uh, this picture just encapsulates how amazing this family vacation was right? Like, how is this a perfect, picture-perfect family vacation? But that's what you think, because you only see the picture. So let me tell you what happened shortly before this picture was taken. So one of the children in this picture that shall remain nameless, but her name starts with an R and ends with island, Uh. She, right before we um, loaded up to go to the top of the mountain to take this picture, uh, she did one of these numbers. Do we have to go in the Jeep again to go to the top of the mountain? It's so boring. And that, unfortunately, was the last words that that child ever spoke. Because my very normally very calm, very laid back, uh, very even-keeled husband went into beast mode in about 0.5 seconds and this is actually a picture of what his transformation looked like (laughs) um but no no he actually didn't even raise his voice um he just in a very calm very psychopath sort of way uh got very close to my daughter's face and he just said we drove over 24 hours for you to experience this By the time we get done, you're going to love the mountains. In fact, this is going to be the best day of your entire life. And if I hear you complaining again, I'm going to leave you on this mountain forever. And he just walked away very calmly. (laughs) Needless to say... uh, that did not change the attitude of the day. Uh, the theme continued to be complaining, 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 um, and uh, it just happened over and over again. And the day didn't really actually get better because unfortunately that same child ended up puking the entire way down the mountain because of motion sickness. And so with that, I want to introduce our theme for the message today. It's not throwing up, so don't rem- don't, worry about that. The theme for today's message is the problem of complaining. The problem of complaining. And when I think about complaining and I think about the Bible, um, the first place my mind goes is back to the Old Testament. And I think about God's chosen people, um, the Israelites, who were in captivity as slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years. But then God did miracle after miracle after miracle To rescue them from that captivity, he issued 10 different miraculous plagues to change the heart of Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea. He had it come crashing back down on top of Pharaoh's army. He provided food for the Israelites literally from the sky, had it rain down from the sky. He gave them water through the rocks. He made sure that their clothes were never worn or never tattered. And what did God's people do in response? they complained. They griped, and they whined, and they continued to complain. And in fact, it's almost comical to me when I think about it, how much the Israelites looked like my family that day on that vacation. Here we are in the middle of God's beautiful creation, but all you can hear is complaining. You can look around and see God everywhere, yet all you hear is complaining so we're going to be kind of all over the Bible um, today. So uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, that's great. We would love for you to. And um, we're going to be flipping back and forth to a lot of different pa- places. So if you want to just follow along on the screens, you can do that as well. We'll have the verses up. Um, there's also message note cards and pins and highlighters in the table uh, next to you. And so um, I would encourage you to take notes to interact and engage with the message. And if you don't have a Bible, um, those Bibles in the middle of the table, that's for you to take home. We would love for you to take one of those home and it just be your gift um, today but the very first place that we're going to be is exodus chapter 16 exodus chapter 16 exodus is the second book of the bible so it's toward the front um so if you want to go in the front and just kind of flip back a little bit um you'll be there we're going to be in exodus chapter 16 and we're going to start in verse 2 and this is what it says in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Which, how dramatic are the Israelites, but we're the same way. Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on all the other days. Verse six. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? that you should grumble against us. Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Then listen, this is the most impactful part of this. This is what I want you to hear. Last, this last phrase, couple phrases right here. Moses says, who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So Moses is saying, Hey, listen, you're not grumbling against Aaron and I. You're grumbling and complaining against the Lord. That's what you're doing. You're complaining against the Lord. What's interesting about this is that God literally changed the laws of physics to provide for the Israelites. He literally had bread coming from the sky to provide for the Israelites, And yet their response was still it would have been better for us to just die when we were in captivity why why did we even get rescued and the thing is is i think we do the same thing i mean imagine if every time that we complain it's not actually us complaining about whatever the situation is, that there's too much traffic or the Wi-Fi is slow or whatever, the little tiny things that we complain about on a daily basis, but we were actually complaining about God. I mean, what if in his eyes, that's the way he sees it? He sees that we're actually complaining about him in the ways in which he's provided for us and the opportunities he's given us. So what I want to do today is I want to personalize this message. Since I can't sit down with every single one of you, um, you know, and have a cup of coffee, I want to personalize this for you as much as possible. So I want you to answer this question, this first question, which is this. What is it that you complain about the most? What is it that you complain about the most? What is it that you complain about the most? And listen, I want you to be really honest with yourself, Okay, I kind of want to let you rise to the surface a little bit. Um, What's the thing that you complain about the most? If you want to write it down on the top of your notes, you can do that as well. Um, If it's your spouse and they're sitting next to you, probably don't write that at the top of the notes, but you do you. Um, But for me, if I'm being honest, it's the stress of my schedule. That's the thing I complain about the most, the stress of my schedule, that I have to be here or I have to be there. Um, we have four kiddos, so they have to be here or they have to be there. And that There's work and there's school and there's homework and there's dinner um, and there's laundry and I'm trying to be a good friend and I'm trying to be a good wife and um, I'm trying to be a good mom and just complain, 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 complain over and over. Wham, wah, poor is me, right? But what is the thing that you complain about? the most. I mean, for some of you, it would be you're complaining about the fact that you're not married or that you're in a relationship, but then God gives you a spouse, and then what do you do? You complain about your spouse. Or maybe it's that your house is too small. Maybe that your boss is a jerk. My boss is not a jerk. I would never say that. But some of you, you might have a boss that's a jerk. Maybe a meeting is, uh, your meetings are too boring, the meetings that you have to be in. Maybe it's a job opportunity that you're waiting for. That you haven't gotten yet or you continually get passed over um, and, and it might be something small uh, like the weather or traffic or the fact that Netflix isn't putting up en- enough original content for the rate in which you're binge watching things whatever it may be I hope to clarify for you this morning that you need to understand that it's not the weather and it's not the traffic and it's not Netflix. The problem actually isn't even the words that are coming out of your mouth. The problem is that what we have done when we complain is that we take our eyes off of the goodness of God and we put our eyes straight on ourselves. That's really what leads to kind of the curse of complaining. Is that God isn't the center of the story anymore. We're the center of the story now. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a text um, that I think is really powerful um, and so powerfully shows this example um, of complaining and how God can work. And it's a passage that's written by the Apostle Paul. And if there's anyone in the Bible that had a right to complain, I mean anyone, it's the Apostle Paul. He definitely had a right to complain. Um, and, and here's why. The Apostle Paul sort of had the number one thing on his bucket list, right? Which actually is not even a bucket list. It was a calling, his purpose, what he feels like God really uh, put him on the earth to do. The number one thing on that was that he wanted to go to Rome as a teacher and spread the gospel. That was the thing he wanted as an accomplishment in his life is to go to Rome as a teacher. It's the top of his list. And Paul ends up going to Rome, but instead of as a teacher, he's arrested and he's sent to Rome as a prisoner. So the dream was to be a teacher. The reality is he's a prisoner being sent to Rome. And not just any prisoner, but Paul was there for about two years. He's locked up 24 hours a day, and actually every eight hours, he is literally chained up to a new Roman guard like physically chained person to person to a new Roman guard. That's how big of a threat Paul was. And so I think to myself, as I, as I look at that circumstance, and I think to myself, and if I'm like, I'm being honest, and I put myself in Paul's position, I go there, I, I, I want to go to Rome, right, to change the world for Christ. That's my motive. That's where I want to go. But I end up going as a prisoner. I'm locked up. I've been serving God. I think I would be tempted to start complaining to God. Like, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? I was doing what you asked me to do. I've been serving you faithfully. And if I'm the Apostle Paul, I've also, at this point, I've been shipwrecked, I've been snake-bitten, I've been beaten, I've been left for dead. And yet all I've ever wanted to do was serve the Lord.) <laughs> And I think I would have a conversation with God that would go something like this. God, you know how strategic this city is. You know how long I've wanted to be here and to make a difference. And instead, I'm not here as a teacher of the gospel. I'm here as a prisoner. And the floor is hard and the food is bad. And this Roman soldier that I'm chained up to smells so bad. It makes me want to throw up. Where are you in this and all the while, he's, waiting his, he's awaiting his very possible execution. Literally at any, any time, his life could end. But instead of complaining, instead of whining, instead of telling God why God got it wrong, that's not what Paul does. In fact, Paul writes a letter to the Christians in Philippi, which ends up being the book of Philippians, and he's describing what he's going through as he's, Um, in prison. So that's where I want to kind of camp out, is just in various places in the book of um, Philippians. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is in the New Testament, past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, past the Gospels. Keep going. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. And if you're following along with the screens, I would encourage you to still write the references down um, so that you can go back and read um, these on, on your own. But this is what it says. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Remember, Paul is imprisoned right now, and he starts this out by saying, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's such a high standard, right? He's saying, whatever you do, whatever action you take, whatever words you say, whatever deed that happens, do everything without grumbling or without complaining, and there's a lot of really good spiritual reasons as to why we should live that way, um, why we should uh, work to not have complaining be something that is, takes root and manifests in our life. But there's some really good practical reasons too. And so I'm going to discuss the spiritual ones, but I want to take just a moment and talk about a very practical reason as to why we shouldn't let um, complaining be a part of our life. So there's a doctor. His name is Dr. Travis Bradbury. And he wrote this incredible book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and he spent a lot of time researching and studying um, the idea of complaining. And what he says is so fascinating. He says that repeated complaining actually hardwires our brain to do, guess what? More complaining. Yeah. Repeated complaining actually hardwires our brain to do more complaining. In other words, the more negative you are, the more likely your brain is going to be triggered to continue to be negative. And he and others actually have a name for this. They call it confirmation bias. And it's essentially that if you expect something to be bad, then guess what? It's going to be bad. And I don't know about you guys, but I know that I don't want to go through life with the preconceived lens to find everything that's bad in a situation. There's already enough bad in this world. I want to walk through and look at circumstances and look for that which is good, which is hopeful, which is pleasant. Those are the things I want to focus on and the things I want to talk about. And when you look at the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the way in which he lived and what he taught, there's kind of two big ideas that I think could summarize all of what he was communicating in these passages in Philippians, the one we just read and ones we're going to look at here in a little bit. And this is going to be kind of the key phrase for the rest of the message um, this morning. And so if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down, but it's this. It's that if God opens the door... For you to change your circumstance, then do it. If God opens the door for you to change your circumstance, then do it. If not, then change your perspective. If God opens the door for you to change your circumstance, then do it. If not, change your perspective. And so, I want to kind of, I want to unpack this a little bit. Um, So we're going to look at kind of just the first part for a minute and then we're going to look at the second part of this for a minute. Um, so, so here's the thing. If God opens the door for you to change your circumstance, so if there is something negative that's going on and God provides a way for you to do something about it, then do it. Here's the thing. We, we don't have to go through life just pretending like everything is always good and perfect, that that there's never anything bad that happens or comes our way. That's not realistic. Of course there is. Noticing something that's bad and something that maybe needs to be improved, that's not a sin. Where it boils over into sin is when God continually opens the door over and over and over again and provides way after way after way for us to change it and do something about it, but all we do is complain and complain and complain and never do anything about it. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it boils over into sin. So if God opens the door for you to change your circumstance, then do it. And here's kind of the second part of that. If not, so if, if not, if God does not open a door for you to change your circumstance, then change your perspective about that circumstance. Change what you say about it. Change how you think about it. Change what you see in those circumstances and and, and this to me I think is so um, powerful uh, and here's why um, look at what Paul says in Philippians 2 we're going to look at 17 and 18 so Philippians chapter 2 but we're going to look at verses 17 and 18 look at what he says and if you remember he's chained up right to a Roman soldier. He's in prison. He's awaiting his very possible execution. His dream was to teach the gospel. The reality is that he's there as a prisoner. And this is what he says. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. But even if, I love that phrase, I love what Paul is saying right there but even if and you might wonder what is that like what is that phrase being poured out like a drink offering I mean that's not a phrase we really use today right so what does that mean well um, this would have been a phrase that Paul's audience uh, would have known and recognized immediately because what would happen is that when a uh, priest were making a op- sacrifice to God they would have an animal like a lamb or a, a bull or something and um, they would make it a burnt offering right so it was literally be that. It would be really hot and all that kind of stuff. And they would also have a drink offering that they would make. And this typically was like liquid um, that was really expensive, the most expensive liquid that the priests had. So it could be wine. It could also be honey um, because that was really expensive and hard to come by uh, back in the New Testament time. And so what would happen is that they would take this liquid and they would pour it over this really, really hot offering. Well, what happens when you pour liquid over something really hot? It goes, and there's like smoke that rises up, right? Well, that smoke that was rising up, that incense, that was the drink offering to God. That would be the really expensive liquid, the prized drink And that offering and the smoke going up to God. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, listen, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I will still rejoice. Even if. And there's actually one Greek word that kind of makes up that entire phrase of being poured out like a drink offering. And that's the Greek word spendo. It's where we get our word "spend." That's literally what it means. It means to spend it all, to empty out. So Paul's saying, even if I've spent it all, I'm completely empty. I still rejoice. And a lot of people think that in this passage, Paul's talking about um, what eventually will be his martyrdom. That it's talking about giving the ultimate sacrifice of his life, but he's not talking about that. And we know that because the verb is a passive present tense verb. Passive present tense verb, if you're not up to your grammar, um, basically what that means is that it's saying, even if I'm being poured out, not even if one day I'm poured out, even if I am being poured out. So his ultimate death was not actually the sacrifice that was on his mind. The sacrifice that was on his mind was how he is handing over his life and his circumstances that day to God. And that if he gets tomorrow, he's going to hand it over again tomorrow. The daily sacrifice, the daily pouring out is what Paul is talking about. That's why he says in another place, um, he says, you know, that you— that you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and that that is the spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't just holding our hands up to a holy God. It's not just singing a couple songs. Worship is a daily emptying of ourself and letting God fill us and use us for that day. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the being poured out like a drink offering of what he's talking about. And the reason that Paul could do that, even though he was in prison, even though he was in a terrible circumstance, the reason that he could do that while being chained up to a Roman soldier, the way he could praise and he could worship God in that moment was simple. It was this. It was because Paul was not the center of his story. Jesus was the center of his story. Because Jesus was the center of his story, Paul could take a very negative circumstance and he could change his perspective on it. And and, and look at how God used that in an amazing way. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. So if you're in chapter 2, just flip over one chapter. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We're going to see how God used this amazing experience or this very negative circumstance in an amazing way. So here's what Paul says, starting in verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, again, he's still talking to the Philippians, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you think I'm the prisoner here? Oh man, you've got it all wrong. I came here wanting to teach and spread the gospel. And guess what? I have someone literally chained to me that gets changed out every eight hours and they can't go anywhere. You want to talk about a like captive audience, lit, that is literally a captive audience. Paul's saying, oh no, no, I'm not a prisoner. I'm still spreading the gospel. In fact, I get to rewrite a sermon every eight hours specifically for this person chained to me. I get to tell them all about Jesus and what he's doing. So much so that it became clear throughout the whole palace guard, that Paul was in chains for Christ. And then Paul's example set an example for other people so that they became confident in spreading the gospel where they were in their influence. And so I think what Paul's story tells us and what it encourages us is that this is that if you are in a place like that if you are in a situation in which you feel powerless in which you have not seen how god has opened a door for you to change that you feel maybe like you are also chained to something just like paul was here's the thing that we can learn from paul's example it's that god still has a purpose and he still has an assignment for you and listen it may not be what you chose And it may not be what you ever even wanted. But it doesn't mean that God's not going to use it to continue to advance the gospel and push his goodness forward if you will allow him to. And so if you can do something about it, if God opens a door for you to change your circumstance, then do it. By all means, bring your A game. If you need to pray, pray. If you need to seek help, seek help. If you need to get counseling, get counseling, If you need to work hard, work hard. If you need to get wisdom, then get wisdom. If you can do something about it, then do it. But if you can't, if you can't change your circumstance, then change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. Change the words that you speak about it. Rather than complaining about something you cannot change, just choose to see God's presence and see his power in that circumstance and in that situation so I want to unpack this uh, from a personal perspective. Um, I've been very open with you guys about uh, my mom's current battle with cancer. Uh, She's been battling with uh, cancer off and on for the last uh, five years. But in the last two years, that battle has really intensified. Um, In the last two years, she's had um, two brain surgeries to remove uh, two different tumors. Uh, she also has is currently on her um oh yeah there. sorry i forgot we had a picture that's my mom and dad with my youngest at grandparents day at her school um at my youngest school, not my mom's school. Um, but they're together at Grandparents' Day. And uh, anyway, so over the past two years, my mom has had two different brain surgeries. Um, she's actually on her second round of um, experimental type treatment. The first one she had a really severe allergic reaction to, and so they had to stop treatment. Um, and that was pretty devastating uh, for our family. Uh, She also has completely lost the mobility on the right side of her body due to a tumor that's entangled in her motor fibers of her brain. Um, And uh, she's experienced some really high highs and some really devastatingly low lows. But here's what blows me away about my mom is that I have never one time heard her complain. Now, she's been very real and honest about sharing her feelings, but she's never complained. She's never said, you know, God, why me? The kids pastor that literally is teaching kids about Jesus for a living. Why not somebody else that's maybe doing bad stuff and contributing to the evil of this world? Why, why not me? She's never said that to me. She doesn't talk about it like that. Anytime that we talk about it, it's always her sharing about how God is using this to strengthen her faith and to strengthen her relationship with him. And so listen, you can complain, you can gripe, you can whine all day long, and honestly, you may even be justified in doing it. No one would even argue that you're justified in doing it. Or you can change the way you look at it. And you can say, I can't do anything about this, but God, I choose to still look for you in this situation. I choose the way I speak about it, and I choose the way I represent it to other people. And I can believe that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And maybe it even is. Or I can look for ways that God can use me in this. And doing that might require you to pray a little harder than you normally are used to. It might require you to be a little bit more dependent on God's um, grace and his mercy. Honestly, it might even leave you a little beat up when you come out on the other side. But what you're going to see is that possibly even a year, five years down the road, God's going to cross your path with somebody that's walking through a very similar situation. And you're going to have the opportunity to look at them and say, I understand, I get it. I went through a similar thing. But can I share with you not all of the bad things about that situation, but can I share with you the way in which God used me in that situation to advance the gospel and to share his goodness and his character? Can I encourage you with that? You're going to find that because you changed your perspective about it, God was able to use you to encourage somebody else that's walking through the same situation. I love that phrase that Paul says, even if, even if. Even if I'm being poured out at this very moment, even if my life is spilling away as we speak, even if everything that I've ever wanted to accomplish never happens, even if this is the last day that I have on this earth, I will rejoice. Even if. And the way you can say that is because despite... A really bad situation, you can still see a glimpse of God's goodness in it. And I don't, I don't know what your even if is. All of us have them, and they actually change even uh, in different seasons of our life. I mean, for my mom, her even if would be even if I'm 62 years old. She probably loves that I just shared that on a public platform, but now it's out. Um, even if I'm 62 years old, I've got three kids, 10 grandkids, even if I'm not able to walk. Even if I'm not able to go to work, um, I will still praise him. For you, it may be even if I'm still crying myself to sleep in prayer for that one thing that I'm asking God for. And it doesn't seem like he's answered that prayer yet. Even if I will still know that I fell asleep praying because I believe in the power of God's goodness. I believe in his nature, and I believe that he is love and he is good because despite my circumstances, which are ever-changing, God never changes. His character and his nature never changes. He is always good, and he is always loving. And I understand that for most of you in this room, um, you're more than likely not imprisoned, obviously, or you wouldn't be here. You're probably not walking through um, a battle with cancer. So the problem of complaining for your life probably shows up in a little more subtle ways. But see, that's Paul's whole point. His whole point is this, is that if I can say, even in this terrible situation that I'm in, I still choose to rejoice and I still choose to pick God's goodness, and I still choose to allow my circumstance to be used to advance the gospel, then so can you in your situation, regardless of the gravity of it. That's Paul's whole point. You don't have to choose the goodness of God in these really big sweeping moments of life. Actually choosing the goodness of God in the smaller things is what gives you the strength to choose it in the big sweeping moments. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that if God opens the door for you to change your circumstance, then do it. But if not... And change your perspective so then how, how do we do this though how do we do this well I mean we've kind of circled around this idea we do this by making sure that we are not the center of our story I am not the center of my story you are not the center of your story when Jesus is the center of our story it changes how you let your story be told so it changes the perspective in which you have of the circumstance, but then it also just changes how you let the story be told, how you represent it, how you represent your circumstances, how you represent him. When you recognize that Jesus is the main character of your story, that's when you can endure and you can actually be light in your darkest day, in your darkest hour. And I love what um, King David had to say about this in the Old Testament. And to me this is just um so incredibly powerful. And now listen, I'm not claiming that King David never complained because if you've ever read Psalms, the guy complained. But in a moment of reflecting on God's goodness, this is what he said. This is Psalm 103 verse 1 through 4. He said this, "Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name." Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives all of my sins and heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. And that's, that's really my prayer for us today. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself is that we will never forget. That we will never forget the ways in which God is good and how he provides for us. Because here's the thing, no matter where you are today, no matter what hole you're in or you, hole you just feel like you maybe just dug yourself out of, if you're sitting in this room and you're breathing, then God has been good to you. And so will we never forget those times in which God was good to us and provided for us and will we continue to always let him be the center of our stories, and I love how Paul or how King David, sorry, in this passage, um, this is what he says. You know, he notice he doesn't say, "Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise His holy name." Let all that I am praise the Lord um, because He gave me a lot of stuff. Because He opened up this door to this new job opportunity. Because He this. Because He that. No, no, it's not any of that. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord because he forgives me of my sins and because he crowns me with love and tender mercies. David's saying the fact that Christ saved us at all is enough for us to rejoice. It's enough for us to be joyful in our darkest moments because again, Christ is the center of the story, not us. So if God opens a door for you to change your perspective, then do it. But if he doesn't, change your circumstance, then do it. But if he doesn't, then change your perspective. And that's exactly why Paul could say, while in prison, you can do everything without grumbling or complaining. Because he changed his perspective. So here's, here's what I want you um, to understand this morning is that Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, he wasn't being poured out in the same way in which Christ was poured out for you. Uh, There's one person in the overall narrative of the entire Bible, there's one guy in which he gave the ultimate offering, and that's God's son, Jesus. And and Jesus shed and he spilled his blood, his sinless blood, so that we could be forgiven. So when David says, he forgives my sins, this is the greatest reason that we praise God. This is a truth that's for every single one of us because the Bible says that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so here's what I want you to understand, is that no matter where you were, are, currently, what you've walked through, what you will walk through. Man, God is crazy about you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. So much so that he sent his son who was perfect and without sin to be the ultimate sacrifice. He died and he rose again. Why? So that we can have a relationship with God. He doesn't care about what you've done in the past. He loves you right now, where you are, for who you are. And so here's the thing. You're not here this morning by accident, regardless of however you got here. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine providence. And for some of you, you're here by divine providence because it's time for you to start a relationship with God. The words that you use and you speak inside in your narrative who you tell yourself you are, those negative words, again, they're a symptom of a larger disease, which is the condition of your heart. And those words are never going to change until you align your heart with God and you align your heart with his purposes and what he has for you. That's why Jesus says in Luke six forty five, a man a good man brings good things out of, a good, of the good stored up in his heart, but an evil man brings evil things out of the evil things stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Romans ten nine it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, there again, that's connection of heart and mouth, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's because Jesus knows immediately the connection of our word and our heart. And so for some of you, it is this. It's the concept of if God opened the door for you to change your circumstance, then then do it. If not, then change your perspective. But some of you, it's deeper than that. It's finally time to get your heart right and start a relationship with God. And so if that's you, in just a few minutes, we're going to pray as an entire church. Um, We're going to bow our head and we're going to pray. And I'm going to get to a section of that prayer in which I'm just going to ask you to silently repeat and follow along with me in that, in that time of prayer. But what I want to do right now is I want all of us to just spend a little bit of time praying that the Holy Spirit would mend our hearts. Not our words, but he would mend our hearts. Because when our heart is mended, when our heart is in the right place, when we are not the center of our stories anymore, when Jesus is, that's when the words follow.